values, and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. Hey, appreciate you spending some time with the show. We're going to start this hour off talking a little bit about the border. Encounters of migrants along the U.S.-Mexico border has exceeded 2.3 million last year. It's an all-time high. Uh, this is an Arizona Republic story, Daniel Gonzalez writing it. He said, but migrants arriving at the border today include not just men from Mexico, but also men and women and children, often, often entire families from all over the Western Hemisphere, uh, Guatemala, Honduras, El Salvador, and more recently, Cuba, Venezuela, Haiti, Nicaragua, Ecuador, and Colombia. Uh, migrants have also come from Russia, China, India, which we all know that. This is part of the issue of illegal immigration is that we understand the plight of the world. Everyone understands the plight of the world, I think. Most of us are very sympathetic to it. There is an attitude change that's happening in America slowly, and I don't like it. I think it is a bad trend, and that is there is a negative connotation to immigration to some. Part of it is because we have lumped everybody together as an immigrant. Now, again, I don't use a phrase like illegal immigration or illegal immigrant, illegal migrant. I'm not saying that to be insulting to that person. I'm not ever looking to insult somebody. But what I'm also not going to do is lump everybody together and say that someone who has come to this country the way our laws provide. They've either waited the time they had to or the visa lottery, which I'm not a fan of, but they want a part of the visa lottery, whatever. Whatever it is, they've come to this country legally. They've followed the process. They've separated from their families. And this is the other part of it, the separated families thing at the border. I understand that it happens, but it happens because somebody broke the law. When someone comes to this country legally, let's say it's a a father or a mother or one of the parents comes, the other parent is left to raise the children until they fulfill the obligation of becoming a citizen, which takes about seven years. So you see families that are definitely separated, and once that person becomes a citizen, their immediate family are sponsored to come into the country. That's part of the American dream. Now, does that need to change? Maybe so. But the idea that the only people being separated are the people at the border and families that are coming here illegally is a false narrative. But we feel for the plight of people. When you come to this country legally, when you do it the way our laws provide, we hold you in the highest esteem. Friday night, I was at an event um, at Talking Stick Arena, or Talking Stick Resort, and it was for the Salt River Police Department and their Employee of the Year Awards dinner. And it was such a fabulous time, and and a big thank you to Chief Auerbach and and and, and uh, Detective Jacoupi and the people that made it possible for me to be on stage and MC this event and read off these amazing awards. But I met a guy outside after it was over, and he is an immigrant from Romania. And was talking about watching America go in the direction of the country he came from and how how it scares him. And it reaffirms for me my belief that truly, I mean this sincerely, immigrants to this country will save this country. I believe that to be true because it's people that have come from horrible situations that have come here the legal way to live the American dream and in one generation have changed the trajectory of not only their lives but the lives of their children and by that their grandchildren and beyond. And I've seen it with my own eyes a number of times with people from Cuba and people from Russia and people from Venezuela and Colombia. 
I've seen it with my own eyes and the people that I know. But to hear stories and anecdotal evidence from other people tells me everything I need to know about immigration. We need a flourishing, robust immigration system in America. That is my belief. But we are starting to change the opinions of people on immigration because everybody is lumped together and called an immigrant now. And and I think that it, it is it is not that it to to um, not insult people that have come here illegally, but what it does is it waters down the accomplishment of the people that have. That we have to make a designation, and then we have to abide by American laws, and we're not. Canada is dealing with a huge immigration problem right now. It's not just us; it's all of North America. And, you know, they have obviously much different attitudes and much different laws in Canada. But if you look at what's happening in New York and what New York is saying about immigration and how they're begging the federal government to change its rules, it's fascinating how they can stay aligned politically. They use the phrase sanctuary cities, and yet they are saying we are overwhelmed with immigrants. So in their mind, illegal immigration is not a problem because they're a sanctuary city. In their in their heart of hearts, they're saying coming to this country outside of American laws is okay with us, but not this many of you. We are seeing this as a big issue, and it's one that we should be paying closer attention to. So this story that's being written about people coming from all over the world, um, all over the world, there is a statistic, and I, I think it is probably for you know for national security reasons and otherwise, um, they used to have a, a – they were called OTMs or other than Mexicans, and it was people from other countries crossing the Mexican-U.S. border. And they were keeping track of where these people were from and then trying to figure out how they made their way into Mexico to get here. And like the story says, people from China and people from Russia, we've had so many people from the terror wall. Watch list cross that, that, that border with Mexico. That's the other thing is America ramps up the rhetoric about the cartels. There are uh, propositions or proposals, I should say, being made that the U.S. military would somehow on some level get involved with the government of Mexico in stemming the tide of cartels. The cartels have absolutely no concern for human life, none. They certainly don't care about our laws, the drugs, and everything else they're bringing in here. Does anybody think for one moment that the cartels for the right price wouldn't bring in somebody with a dirty bomb or the technology to build a dirty bomb and people on the terror watch list? If we are going to say that we are going to come after the cartels and stop them, you don't think that those cartels would do everything they could to stop us? They absolutely would. They absolutely would. You know, if they feel that the U.S. government is going to try to do to them what happened in Colombia years and years ago during the Bush 41 administration, George H.W. Bush. You know, the cartels were so strong. The cocaine cartels were so strong then. And it ended up because of U.S. intervention and work with the Colombians and other governments were able to slow that down and eventually break up a lot of those cartels, although cocaine remained a huge problem. We didn't have a cartel in a country at war with its own government. And we're seeing it move closer and closer to that in Mexico. So 
I look at these stories and I think I love immigration. I love immigrants. I I think that they are the lifeblood of this country. I've always felt that way. I love the success stories of people that come here and bring with them their culture and their their hard work ethic, and they build a life as Americans. They're proud of their culture. They keep their language. They keep their culture growing in their families, but they're proud Americans, and we should never, ever lose that. But when we call everybody an immigrant, when we put everything together and act as if it's the same. It isn't the same. It is not the same. Before we talk about the new laws we need, and I think we do, new rules for immigration and a new system that works better for people, we've got to have a hold on the border. I'm anxious to see if it actually does happen. Coming up in a moment, I had a conversation with Senator Jake Hoffman from the Freedom Caucus in the Arizona State Legislature about the aggregate expenditure limit and how the Freedom Caucus is not necessarily in any hurry to get rid of the AEL or at least suspend it or override it until they get some serious changes. Will that happen? You're going to hear it from his mouth coming up in just a few moments. Strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show. KTAR News, 92.3 FM and the KTAR News app. Hey, thanks for being here. Great conversation this morning with um, Senator Jake Hoffman. He is the chairman of the Freedom Caucus. He said it makes up about one third of all Republicans in the state legislature. We're going to get to it in a moment. Um, here's an interesting story Julia just brought me. This is um, this is from the New York Times. Children experienced learning deficits during the COVID pandemic that amounted to about one third of a school year's worth of knowledge and skills, according to a new global analysis, and had not recovered from those losses more than two years later. The former governor, Ducey. Uh, had a summer camp program, not summer school. It was designed learning in a different format that they said was very, very ex- successful. Everybody believes, to, at least to some degree, it's going to look about the same, but it may carry on again this year. A voluntary program where that private organizations could put on. They had to fit within certain parameters to put these on, but it was very successful, very well attended, and they believe that it helped kids start to regain some of what they lost. The goal is that education in Arizona Arizona be as good as possible. The um, the old argument about funding, and I believe funding's an issue. You can't. You're not going to push me off of this by saying it's funding, funding, funding. It isn't. There has been a huge increase in funding over the last years. People don't want to acknowledge it, but we have increased funding in in schools. That doesn't mean that there's enough there. So I'm not saying that either. What I'm saying is we have dramatically increased funding in schools. This goes back all the way to 2018 and even before that. Teachers were given enough funding for a 20% raise. There has been more and more funding, so much so that in the last two years, the aggregate expenditure limit has been hit. That is a limit on how much money can be spent based on the budget size in the education, in education, adjusted for inflation. And for the second year in a row, so much money is being put into Arizona, the K through 12 education that we've bumped up against this limit. It's $1.2 billion that is up for, you know, a, a conversation right now of whether or not it will be spent. We have to do something. So I want you to hear a little bit of what Senator Hoffman is saying, because in talking to leadership, leadership, now it's Republican leadership, too, has said they believed that the AEL or aggregate expenditure limit will be um, overridden 
for temporarily. It can only be written overridden for this legislative session this school year, and they believe that it would get done. Senator Hoffman said, I'm not sure that that's going to happen. The Freedom Caucus represents about a third of all legislative Republicans. So this is a sizable contingent of, of the Republicans down at the Capitol that have these concerns. And look, the one thing that we can all agree on is that Arizona children deserve the highest quality education, not just that Arizona has to offer, but that anywhere in our country has to offer. And I agree with that. I think we all agree with that in principle. We've been saying this forever. Where are the areas that we agree? Arizona children deserve the best education possible. And I agree with him wholeheartedly. And the system as we know it is broken. And you don't have to agree with me on that, but you can see this this statistic that he said, it was in the press release as well, tells you everything you need to know about the broken system. In the latest publicly available data, only 28% of Arizona 8th graders are proficient in reading, and only 32% of 11th graders were able to pass the state math assessment. He talked about transparency reform. This is interesting. Open the books. There's no reason that we shouldn't be able to have complete financial transparency in terms of what districts are spending not only taxpayer dollars on, but where their spending priorities are in terms of educating kids. Academic transparency is a critical reform that parents want. This means curriculum and lesson plans. They need to be posted online so that parents know what's being taught in the classroom. And this, again, I've been harping on this for a long time and, 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 and being in agreement that these things need to happen, that parents have to have the right to know exactly what's being taught. And when you talk about transparency, it is in spending because a lot of these curriculums cost a lot of money. They're expensive. They're expensive to buy the rights to the curriculum. It's expensive to train the teachers in the curriculum. And a lot of these things are doing nothing to get these kids back on track. When it, Now, I'm not saying that it's not valuable, and that's, what, that's where we talk about prioritization. Are they on the same level with reading math and the basic core and this is where the argument in education has come from the the idea that many of these things have superseded and we have lost focus that is the biggest thing for me when you look at a business that is struggling um i will you know it's funny it's gonna be a dumb analogy but i love um Gordon Ramsay. I love the stuff he puts on TV. I love his attitude. I just love his shows. And when he did that show called Kitchen Nightmares, I love him. I still I watch the reruns. He goes into a restaurant that's lost its way. He has lunch. He sits down and tries the menu. He usually hates the food. It's usually very bad. There have been a couple of occasions where it was good. But the kitchens are dirty. People are lazy. They've lost focus. The decor looks bad. They have lost focus. And many times these are restaurants that at one time were immensely successful with the same chef that has just kind of lost his or her way. And what he does is adjust and update and get them back on track and also get them re-energized to be number one again. We've lost our way in education in Arizona. And this is when he talks about trans- transparency. I couldn't agree more. He's 100% right. So are we going to argue about CRT or critical race theory or SEL, social emotional learning? We can argue until the cows come home of whether or not they are valuable pieces of curriculum in schools. Argue all you want. 
of whether or not there's value in them. But shouldn't parents have the right to ask, where are they on the priority list? Because if you're using this, if you're paying big money for these curriculums and you're spending a lot of time training teachers that have nothing to do with this subject matter, but it's infil- you know it's infiltrating everything you're teaching and it's taking away from the basics, parents have a right to be upset about it. And that's why parents are putting their kids in other schools. That's why they are looking for options. And I, I don't think that that's debatable. I don't think it's debatable at all. Uh, coming up in a moment, we had another great conversation this morning. Uh, Steve Hooper joined me. Steve Hooper has a company called Tripwire Security Solutions along with his wife. They are experts in security and, and uh, management, threat management. So he talked about the new information that's out there in what happened in Virginia where a six-year-old brought a gun to school and even though there were warnings, shot a teacher. We're going to talk about what he said and let you hear it so it's one way we can be better prepared here when we talk about these things. We'll do it in a moment. Please stick around. Strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show. KTAR News, 92.3 FM and the KTAR News app. Appreciate you spending some time with us on the show. An interesting conversation with Steve Hooper. Uh, both interviews today, by the way, will be available on the podcast a little bit later on in the sh- after the show. I hope you'll go back and listen to them in their entirety. Uh, Senator Hoffman lays out a case for um, not voting in favor of overriding the aggregate expenditure limit for education unless we have some major education reforms. And then I talked with Steve Hooper. Uh, Steve is such an interesting guy along with his wife. They are just an interesting couple, um, dedicated their lives to public service service. Both of them, between them, it's been over 50 years um, in the FBI. They now have a company called Tripwire Security Solutions, where they uh, consult with school districts and with private organizations, private companies on threat assessment and threat preparedness and uh, emergency preparedness and crisis management. And it, just a wealth of information in that regard. Steve is also a professor up at Embry-Riddle. As much as they are known for aeronautics, they have the only, I believe it's still the only four-year degree in security and intelligence right here in Arizona. And the school is growing and growing and growing. It's the first of its kind, a four-year degree in security and intelligence. And his students talking about what happened in Virginia where a six-year-old who had who was known to everyone, he was such a behavioral problem and obviously dealing with very serious emotional and mental issues. This six-year-old was not allowed to attend school without having one parent with him in the classroom. And on this day, neither parent could attend. The school allowed him in class. There were rumors that he had a gun, um, that teachers did not intervene, administrators didn't intervene. And this young man had said he wanted to watch this, set this teacher on fire. I mean, this is a very mentally disturbed six-year-old. And uh, he was able to get a gun and into the school and unfortunately shoot his teacher. She is recovering, which is great news. But there's going to be a major lawsuit here and what changes need to be made. Um, so I asked – Steve was talking about this, the most concerning aspect of this case to him. It was concerning to me that normally this kid comes to school with a parent. One of the medical assessment uh, for uh, whatever issues he had uh, or has required one parent to be in class with him when he came to school. On this particular day, neither parent could make it, and they sent him to school anyway. 
So they sent him to school anyway, and the school accepted him on campus in spite of what has gotten to the point where he was so unmanageable as a six-year-old that he required a parent there. They allowed him into class without a parent. Um, There were so many things that happened that were missed. So Steve, when he comes on, we've talked about this multiple times. He talks about ownership of the threat. Someone needs to own that decision. It can't be just, well, we'll let him go this time. It's It's got to be owned. There has to be a policy, a procedure in place that is is adhered to. Uh, once you get outside the policy and procedure, then that's when mistakes are made. He talked about plans at school. There have to be stricter plans in place. When it comes to schools in general, they want to be accommodating. I think that's one of the changes, the wholesale changes. In, that schools have to accept this culture of security. They've got to be more strict. They've got to be more, uh, the policies have to be more about the threat than about accommodating the families. And that is a big concern, and that's that's a hard place to, to, get, to get past. Um, I'm going to talk about Arizona specifically in a moment, but one of the things that Steve has taught me in talking with him and his wife, Linda, they, they're just – between the two of them, it, they, I don't think I've ever been around them that I haven't just been captivated by the stories and of their careers. But they take what they've learned, and this is something that is easier to do than most people make it, make it out to be. And having someone that assesses these – now, in this case, this unique case, this was – this kid was already a known threat. What they did was ignored the threat. There are many cases when it comes to schools or corporations where there is someone. How many times have we heard about, um, unfortunately, the old it's – it's not a funny thing to say, but people used to say going postal because it was postal workers that were acting out violently against coworkers. Um, knowing who those people are and that when they say things or do things that are odd – that there is somebody that's keeping track and assessing what's going on. And, and the best example I heard was, you know, if you got a kid at school who on the school bus is saying some pretty outrageous things about hurting people or hurting themselves or whatever. And one of the students goes and says at the school, tells somebody at school, you know, it's very weird, but this kid continues to talk about killing people or killing him or herself. That teacher know who knows exactly who it is in that school that's keeping track of these things and the conversation usually starts off with you know this probably is nothing but and that threat is that student and that threat is is kept track of and then when they say something in PE class or at lunch or they're posting weird things online and someone says this is just off I got a picture of this kid I actually called a, a sheriff's department in South Florida um, because it, it borders the county where I grew up and I don't know whatever happened it was none of my business after I reported it but I had a friend who knew my connection to law enforcement. And it was a uh, there was a guy that uh, she knew. I didn't know him from school, younger than me. And he was posting very graphic things on his Facebook page: tactical gear, gas masks, always with a rifle, always with knives, ominous looking. Um, and so I used my contacts and I I got a hold of a sheriff the sheriff's department and reported it to them. And I left it alone. I'm like, listen, I, I don't know what's going to happen because of this. I have no idea what's going to happen because of this. But I just figured you should know. And then there's someone that takes that threat and looks at it and assesses whether or not at this time it's time to act. But when you start seeing a pattern 
they uh, was it Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School in South Florida where the school shooting happened. Students after that shooting were saying that kid's nickname was school shooter. We knew if it ever happened, it was going to be that kid. Well, why didn't adults know this? Why wasn't there an action plan? So now you're talking about a six-year-old that is so emotionally disturbed that he has to have a parent with him. He's acted out violently before. He has threatened violence before, wanted to set a teacher on fire, and he's alone in the classroom. At six, you would say, how dangerous could a six-year-old be? Brandishes a firearm. Warnings were there, and nothing was done. Every bit of planning and every bit of of, uh, the system that was put in place was ignored, and it ended in tragedy. And it's just something that we need to continue to look at. Um, What we're going to do is just shift this conversation a little bit based on what we saw. And many of you have seen the video of what happened in Memphis with five police officers uh, killing a suspect. Uh, They are going to be charged with second degree murder. Do we need to put in place police reforms, the continued conversation about gun control? All of these things we're going to discuss and try to make some sense of what was a horribly senseless crime. That's all coming up here in just a couple of moments. Strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM and the KTAR News app. Thanks again for joining the show, at least for part of your day. We always appreciate it. No, you got a lot of choices, but thanks for choosing us for part of your day. Um, as most people that listen to this show, if you listen to me, know uh, that I am unapologetically pro-law enforcement. I come from a law enforcement family. Uh, my brother and my sister-in-law, both are cops in my hometown. I've had cousins and uncles and so many family members and now multiple friends that are in law enforcement. I believe in it as a profession, as a vocation. It's honorable. I believe that the vast majority of men and women that take up the profession and do the job uh, do it well and do it with the highest level of respect for the people that they serve. Um, But what happened in Memphis is another example, much like the the death of George Floyd. Um, What happened in Memphis is an inexcusable, um, inexplicable occurrence that never should have happened and should never happen again. So how do you reconcile the two? We we had such after the George Floyd death, we had the movement in America that was the defund the police movement. And the people that have this is not a new movement, by the way. Um, Go back to the 1960s. It's always been kind of an anti-authority movement in this, that uh, in the 1960s, it was the Vietnam War, and it was defund the military, demonize men and women in uniform, which has gone by the wayside, thankfully. And in in a lot of respects, it was due to the hard work of Vietnam veterans to make sure that the generations that followed them in the military that became veterans themselves uh, were not treated as they were treated or thought about as they were thought about. And they deserve a lot of credit for not just the way they served their country when they did as honorably as any other generation before or after them, but also serving the veteran community and making sure one of the things that happened when my brother was killed is a Vietnam veteran came to my brother's home and said to my mom, um, 
they spit at me when I came home and no one feels that way about what your son did. And they stood and they cried out in front of my brother's house. And that was the sentiment of the Vietnam veterans trying to debunk this anti-military. That doesn't mean all soldiers or all troops did the right thing. There were criminals in the military as well. There were war crimes committed by Americans. Um, one of the books that I love the most was written by Glenn Beck, and it's called Miracles and Massacres. And it's about the things we have done as a nation that have been so good for the world, but acknowledging some of the most horrible things we've done as well. Um, in policing, it's the same. These five people are criminals. And I, I saw a story somebody sent me, and I don't know the connection. It was just one story that said, you know, at least a couple of these police officers became police officers after Memphis lowered its standards for police officers. I don't know if that played any role in it. I know this, that this was one of the most despicable things I've ever seen. Um, I spent Friday night with the Salt River Police Department. Not in jail, but with the police department at their awards dinner. And I had the privilege of reading off the awards that were won by their civilian and their sworn employees. I also had the privilege to spend a lot of time talking with their chief. Um, their chief is just a remarkable guy. He is infectious. And what I mean by that is um, it, it is his name is Carl Auerbach, Chief Auerbach. Um, he is just an infectious personality, kind to everyone, uh, selfless, gives everybody else credit, doesn't take any himself. But I will tell you, from the honor guard to uh, the detective that was helping me, um, her, her name, her last name is Jacoupi. Her husband is also a police officer at Salt River PD and so many others. Travis was a guy that set this up for me um, that made this possible to thank and reward their employees. One of them was the Rookie of the Year. They have a Detective of the Year. There's a Chief's Award that's given out to someone. But professionalism – and service is what it's all about for them. And it was an odd time to be there with them because here we are as a nation with protests going on all over the country because of what five police officers did and in killing a human being um, senselessly. And how I was in a room full of cops and I couldn't have been more honored to be in that room. How do you marry those two? What I mean by that is how do we how do we how do because i'm never going to waver on my support for law enforcement i'm not going to do it but how do you make sure it never happens again how do you make sure that police officers uh reserve the right of self-protection that deadly force at times is a part of the job unfortunately um it is at that – that that's unfortunately part of what they do, that they have to be violent, that there are times when they have to fight with, physically have an altercation. They have to use less lethal like a taser on people. Um, they have – at times they're shot at. I just saw the body cam video of a uh, – of uh, the shooting in Phoenix where a Scottsdale officer serving a warrant was shot by a suspect and fortunately recovering. Um, and then that suspect was killed days later. Um how do we mix those two? What do we do um, as a society? Because the defund the police movement is starting – not starting to come back, but they are being loud again. I just heard in the – I believe in one of the newscasts 
someone asking, why are we giving so much money to the police department? Why aren't we investing in affordable housing? And you're not going to solve problems that way. I think we've shown in the, when the defund the police movement was at its height, as well-intentioned as it might have been, it did not make neighborhoods safer. As a matter of fact, go and look what's happening in the Pacific Northwest. Go look what's happening in Portland and what's happening in Seattle and other cities that bought fully into this defund the police movement and what their cities look like. Because the criminals don't care about any of this. They're just happy when they have the upper hand. There's got to be a way to weed out, get rid of, and make examples of cops who tarnish the badge with horrible behavior and making sure that honorable cops are still honored and can still do their jobs as safely as possible. It is a task that must be done. They must undertake this task, and they must do it the right way. And I'm hoping that they're able to do it quickly because I hate talking about bad cops. It makes me sick to my stomach because of how much I appreciate the profession and what they do. What we're going to do just after 11 o'clock is uh, we're going to go back to water, the water conversation. California is just now having a conversation about storing rainwater. Why have they waited so long and why are we paying the price? We'll talk about it next.